Hey everybody, welcome to the first video in my top 50 favorite games of all time. This is gonna be number 41 through 50. This is going on on a Monday. You can also pick this up on the podcast if you just wanna to listen to the audio, although I will be showing some pictures and things on the video as we go. Uh, thanks again to Kickstarter backers who helped me hit the stretch goal to make this video series possible. Uh, in the last video where I talk about my top 10, I'll have kind of a section of a review, kind of some thoughts on the process and stuff like that uh, at the end of that video. Uh, but just kind of uh, one sort of brief thing I want to mention before I jump into the games is that the top 40 for me was very easy. I sort of just sweated and viscerally vomited out all of those games. The top 40 was like a solid slam dunk. And then I kind of sprinkled in a couple others I sort of forgot about in that initial session, and then I kind of ordered them in a uh, sort of a traditional way. I'm doing a top 50 instead of a top 100 because I'll leave some of that in toward the end of the last video, but because this just makes a lot more sense just to be kind of sum it up. But I'll get into more details and that kind of stuff. Uh, so what I'm going to do is go through the, the top 50 videos, 10 per day. I will do a couple of things that I will do for every single game I talk about. I'll talk about my three pillars of review, good player count, play time, and give you also an idea of at least one other game that this is like. So if you look at it, you're like, oh, I like some of what he says, but maybe the theme doesn't jive or something, I'll at least have one other game that sort of, for me, fits in the same ballpark. So let's go ahead and jump in. And the number 50 game here is Stone Age. Now this is uh, somewhat considered a classic game. It's a worker placement game. It's sort of a, a more basic worker placement game. We have a lot of fun playing this uh, with the family over the years. I know folks in my game group also do enjoy it. You're basically putting out little cave people, uh, going to the love hut, and then creating new cave babies that will eventually become workers going out and hunting and getting resources and gathering and then building huts and activating special cards. Uh, this, the reason this game is still kind of high up on my list is because it keeps coming out and it keeps rewarding uh, multiple plays, even after all of these years. When we put it away, we won't play it for a few months, and then it comes back out, and then you get, to, you get really back into all the different kind of strategic approaches in terms of where you place the workers and what kind of different activities you're going to try to do, what you're trying to score, do you score with the cards, do you score with the huts, and so on. Uh, the player count for this, I've played all, all the player counts at this point, and I probably like it at three or four the most. It plays just fine with two, uh, but it's just nice having that extra player and they're kind of mixing things up, uh, you know, just somebody else to kind of keep track of. But it plays just fine at two, but my preference is a three or four. The game's going to take you under two hours, probably about an hour and a half uh, every time you play it, especially once you get to know it. And then the games that I would sort of put in this same ballpark that didn't kind of make the cut are ones that have sort of actually replaced this game and then gotten re-replaced uh, by this one coming back out and just being kind of like this old glove that you can just fit in and teach in just a few minutes and folks are just running and away we go and we're playing a game and then it's going to, again, reward multiple plays. So other games like this is, well, I would say, Viticulture and Lords of Waterdeep are kind of in the same ballpark. They've got kind of a light worker placement. 
very thematic kind of uh, friendly theme, theme stuff. You know, Lords of Water is more of a Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. And then Viticulture, you're running your vineyard and that kind of stuff. And so uh, basically the amount of complexity and, and stuff like that is, is about the same as Stone Age. Whereas this is a little bit easier to get into and it has the whole gambling aspect. When you place your workers out, you're rolling a certain number of dice. So you're, you're pushing your odds in different areas and then it has all those different er uh, approaches to victory that you can do. So that's number 50, that's Stone Age. Now number 49 is going to be, I have it buried over here. This is Lords of Vegas here. This is from Mayfair Games. This is also a little bit older of a game. Uh, it got a little bit also of a gambling aspect to it. Uh, players are getting property uh, lots all across the strip in Las Vegas, and then you're sort of negotiating and trading uh, and gambling in each other's casinos, building up this uh, sort of network of casinos and trying to sort of merge and connect and take over different casinos like that. So it has a lot in common with games like Acquire or Chinatown, and that would, those would be kind of the two games that I would actually throw uh, in the in the mix there in terms of games that you might like if this doesn't really seem like a good theme in terms of the Las Vegas theme and a little bit of the dice rolling. Chinatown is like basically ripping all of that sort of gambling aspect out of it and still relying on the trading and making wheeling and dealing with the real estate and then acquires kind of its own kind of stock idea but you have these kind of tiles that build out uh, that kind of stuff and this is another one that uh, I would say gets played more often in the game group although we haven't played it in some time but it was coming out there quite a bit for a while but the family as well we've it just keeps coming out and it's just one of those games where it's similar to Stone Age where it has some good strategy and some good kind of Euro stuff mechanics all that, but then it's got that slight little gambling edge that kind of, in some ways, kind of takes the edge off of playing a pure deterministic, you know, hard-edged Euro. You've, you can sort of rely on, if you lose, you can kind of rely on, well, you know, the dice didn't go my way and that kind of thing. So in a family type of atmosphere, it works uh, really well. Now I would say, I don't know that this actually plays two players. I've never played this two players. Uh, so it's two to four. <laughs> so I've never played it with two. I don't think I would ever want to actually play this with two just because, <sighs> I don't know, it's just not a good head-to-head -head game. You need the other players to do the negotiation, do the trading. So the three and four player, I have played it uh, multiple times at all of those player counts. And you, you, you want to have the trading, the negotiation, the gnashing of teeth, you know, the bickering back and forth and the gambling and the dice rolling and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so that is Lords of Vegas. The playtime, the box probably says two hours or so. It's Again, this is one of those hour to 90 minute uh, style of games that you want the three and the four player for. And then if you don't like that sort of gambling uh, random edge to a Chinatown and acquire, uh, they have a little bit of randomization to them, but not quite as much as this in terms of like the dice rolling and then reorganizing the casinos and stuff. So there's a little bit more dice rolling and stuff in this one, but that's kind of why I like it because you have those dramatic moments uh, that can arise in Lords of Vegas. So that's number 49. Uh, number 48 here is a relatively new game. This came out last year, although it's a re-implementation of a game from a couple years ago. It's called Just One, and my box is a little bit beat up because I've been taking it just about everywhere I go with me. Uh, I did a review of this not too long ago, and uh, what this is, is if you ever played an old game in the 80s called Scattergories, uh, I'm sure most people have heard of this because it's now been nominated for Spiel des Arts, but if you played an old game from the 80s called Scattergories where you roll a letter and then you pick a category and you've got to like 
you know, name all of these different words that have to do with it. But anything that you of the word that you use that somebody else uses, then you don't get any points for it. Neither of you do. This is more of a cooperative version where one player has a card they can't see. They pick a, a word on the card based on a number. So there's five words, one, two, three, four, five. And I say number three, but I can't see it. And then everybody else has to write one word on their placard and then try to get that person to guess the word. And you're just playing to try to guess all 13 words in your stack of cards. And if you don't, then you know you just try again and you try to just get a high score basically. But this has come out, I mean, all over the game group. I played at conventions a whole bunch last year. Family loves it. And uh, this is just a blast to play. At the time I'm recording this video, uh, it's been nominated for the Spiel des I would not be surprised if it was the winner. I do think it is uh, deserving, at least of the nomination, if not winning. Uh, so yeah, the games that this is like is kind of tough because like I mentioned, Scattergories is a very old game and this is kind of like a cooperative Scattergories. I would kind of throw it in that same vein as like the code names. Uh, cause it seemed like a couple of years ago, code names came out, kind of kicked off this kind of word game craze. Uh, there's been a, a few of them that have sort of bubbled up, but nothing really has kind of broken through in the same way as code names, except for, uh, just one. Um, and I really like just one. I wouldn't, I don't even need to play code names anymore at all because just one is, you know, some people say code names is a party game and I really like code names. I still got it up here on the shelf and I would totally play it anytime, but just one is really a party game to me. And I've played it. I think we played up to 10 players one time, even though the box only says seven, uh, just because, uh, I mean, you could get, I've seen people that actually get two boxes of it and they put both sets of placards and pens in there and just have a big, you know, huge 14 player, uh, just one. I don't think you want to get much higher than that because it's just too unwieldy and too many people. But what we did actually is once you run out of the placards, even with just the one copy, uh, whoever doesn't have a placard in front of them, they will collectively act as the one player with the card. And then they will discuss after looking at all the players, uh, placards, they will discuss what their decision will be. And that adds, just adds a different dynamic to the game. And it's, it's still really just as fun. And I also have played this, speaking of player count, down at the three-player level where uh, everybody has two placards, so we'll each be giving two words to the solo other player. And that works great. It works just fine. So really, player count is could be any number of players, really. I would say up to probably 15, uh, no, if you were to get a second copy of the game. After that, it's, that's just too many players, I think. But really, it's going to cover that gamut. And it's just, everybody's having a riot. It's, you know, if you want more details, go look at my review. But there's like a certain uh, sort of lonely excitement <laughs> to the player who's looking at all the words everybody's been giving you. And everybody else will see the clues they've all written and be like, oh, they have to they have to know what this is, but they already know what the word is. And you're looking at it going like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, but then it's just a roller coaster of a fun game. Uh, Playtime, you know, probably take a half an hour to play through a session, if that. Sometimes it can go a lot quicker. Whenever we play it, we usually play it multiple times back to back. And so we'll eat up an hour playing, you know, about three games of it. So that's the uh, number 48, just one. Definitely uh, recommend this one. Now, number 47 is another game that's pretty recent, and this is called uh, The Mind. And this is a very different style of game. I don't think I did a video review of this. I, I did talk about it in the podcast. It's been talked about all over the place. I think it was nominated for Spiel des Arts last year. Uh, but this is another game which is very oddball mentally. So players are trying to all play cards from their hand in a specific order, one through 100. 
uh, but nobody can talk about the values of the cards and you're just sort of like silently guessing and timing the order that you should play the cards and giving enough uh, the other players enough time to sort of react and you know how long are they waiting if I just played a 20 and Billy has a 21 he should be playing that right away but if he has like a 29 you know how long does he wait because somebody could have 21 through 28 and so there's this weird timing thing and then you go through and you just try to play through uh, multiple hands of that uh, really again like just one uh, have had a lot of fun with a lot of different groups at cons gamer group with the family and just a riot and lots of just tense laughter and gameplay and all that kind of fun stuff uh, it's you know it's one that you see bantered about and whether or not it's a game or an activity you know i'd say it's a game it's got rules and you're trying to achieve some objective collectively so it's that fits in the game mold for me and the main thing is it's super fun and definitely something that is easy to throw in the bag and just you know while you're waiting for somebody to show up to a game night or just you know taking a break or you could play it at lunchtime or something like that this is super fun uh, games will take probably about a half an hour although you can crash and burn and be done in 15 minutes as well but if you're really you know getting close to finishing and completing the game and winning the game this you're probably going to push up to about a half an hour um, there's a player count i've actually played this up to six players uh, just with one copy of it and that worked just fine you keep the same rules as the work for four players and it was fine i mean it's a little bit more difficult just because you got more players but i think that's that's fine. That's why I don't think you really need to adjust the rules if you go up to six players. I wouldn't play with any more than six. Um, and then I have played with, all. I think, all the other player counts. I know I played with two, and I'm sure I played with three and four. But I played so many times, I'm like, I'm not really sure if I played with three and four, if it was always four. But I played it like a few dozen times, so I'm sure I played it with everything. Although I don't think I played it with five. That's a tough one. But I know I played it with six a few times. Anyway, so uh, I would say two players is not... Wood uh, didn't really like it that much. Although I've talked to other people, then they really did like it with two players with the kind of back and forth. But for me, I want that other kind of brain in the mix, just kind of messing everything up uh, between the two players. Because I could see like a couple playing this and really like just getting it down and, you know, kind of knowing each other's kind. Because that's the thing, when you play with a bunch of new people, it's kind of difficult, even if you've all played it before, because you kind of don't have that unspoken sort of rhythm that you get when you play it with the same group over and over again. Uh, so anyway, so I, I don't really like it with two-player, uh, but any three to six, you know, even though it only, only plays up to four technically, I would recommend. Uh, and now as far as the other games that are like this, um, the only one I can think of that's close to this is actually Exploding Kittens, which is a game I still really enjoy and I actually still own a copy of. Uh, but um, I've actually had two people tell me that they unsubscribed from my channel because I thought Exploding Kittens was fun. <laughs> okay, so, you know, have a good day. But uh, Exploding Kittens is really actually is a very fun game. It's very silly, uh, but I did a review of it, and you can go see why I like that one. So, uh, you know, the mind is definitely a better game than Exploding Kittens, but Exploding Kittens also has that weird sort of mental element into it, but you're playing it more in an antagonistic way where you're just kind of like planting a bomb uh, for the other players on top of this deck and stuff. But I definitely recommend play, people play Exploding Kittens. It's actually a fun riot of a game. So that was number 47, The Mine. Uh, changing gears completely, we have got number 46 here, and this is Trajan. Uh, this is an older edition, and I believe it's coming out 
again from Renegade Games. This is a Steffenfeld game. It's a big, crunchy, uh, point salad type of Euro. Uh, this is definitely my favorite of the Steffenfeld uh, style of games. Uh, I also like Castles of Burgundy and Bora Bora and, you know, uh, Merlin. I actually like that one, too, and a couple other of his games, uh, Forum Trajanum and stuff. So I, I am a big fan of Steffenfeld games. This one is probably, arguably, his most bizarre, although you could probably argue that um, uh, Near the Dragon and stuff like that is a little bit funky, too. But this, I would say, for me, is his funkiest, best game. And it has this weird Moncala thing. And you have these, you activate your Moncala, which is, you can then activate all these other random spots on the board to do area control and different shipping things and collecting goods and marching your troops around on the uh, northern part of Europe and all this kind of funny stuff. It's just such a weird, brain burning, puzzly kind of thing that for me is very refreshing to bring out and, uh, you know, just kind of crunch through. It's a almost a purely abstract puzzle, although I do find it thematic, I would say, oh, let's call it ballpark it at the 20 to 30% theme, and then the other 75% is all just crunchy mechanics. Uh, That's a tricky one to kind of explain. If you like weird, funky me mechanics that, are, you know, you like heavy euros or medium euros and that kind of stuff, and you just like exploring new things, uh, this is one here that I think uh, is gonna reward that. Uh, like I said, it's it's definitely on the funk side of things in terms of board game mechanics go. Uh, and talking about uh, player count, I like it all the player counts. Two, three, four, don't matter to me. Um, the, the most rewarding part of the game is when you do play it with somebody else or a group of folks that have all kind of played it and sort of developed their skill at the game. Then the game itself, you know, the fact that it is a good game sort of reaches above just the exploration of the mechanics piece of it because it took me probably uh, about four or five times playing this game when I first got it I was like man I, I kept wanting to play it again because I was like I have no idea what I'm doing you know this is kind of weird and neat do I want to waste my time with this um, but then at some point it clicked and it clicked with my group because as a group we kind of all uh, dove into it uh, because it was such a weird different mechanic at the time with the Moncala and everything uh, but then once you do kind of sort of get through that membrane of just learning the game and piecing stuff together and then you're fighting you really are you're fighting the other players for certain things on the board and timing stuff and watching their Moncala and seeing what kind of bonuses they're going for and really starting to read the other players once you can kind of get through all of that all of those barriers that the, the game really is putting in the way of the player interaction, I think on purpose, I don't think this is a negative thing. So you put this, you just, th it's throwing all these walls at you. And then, but once everybody is able to do that, it becomes really pleasurable to be able to play it against other players that sort of have the same experience of the game with you. So it's just a really weird, funky, crazy game. And I really do enjoy it. Like I said, all the player counts, I like that. It's probably going to ballpark it at 90 minutes to two hours, you know, so uh, that's going to come down. And I have played it in less than two hours a number of times with four players at the full player count. So once you get through the game and kind of know it and, you know, players are pretty smart with it, then it's not going to take you more than that. But I think as you learned it, if you were new at it and you had four players, you could go over the two hour mark pretty easily. Uh, now, in terms of other games, there was a game that just came out this last year called Crusaders 
from Tasty Mitchell game, which is sort of the reverse approach to the way the Mancala works in this game. So I would definitely take a look at that. Uh, even if you didn't like this game, if you didn't like Trajan, you might still like uh, Crusaders because it's a very different style of game, but it has a Mancala. Um, but it's it, the, the way it, the only thing it has in common with it is that it has a Mancala. The way the Mancala operates in both games is actually completely different as well. But if you you know interested in Trajan or you didn't really like this, but if you want to do a Stefan Feld game, I would sort of compare this to any of his other ones. Castles of Burgundy, if you haven't played, would probably be my second favorite game of his, maybe. Although I really like Bora Bora too and Forum Trajanum and Merlin, and I'm, I keep forgetting, there's another one that I really liked as well. But there's been several uh, several uh, of Feld's games that I really like, because they're just always funky, you know? There's just always like, hmm, that's just a little funky. Like, you can, it almost like tastes like Feld, you're like, or smells like it, you know? It's like, hmm, this is just a little bit different than all these other Euro designers in some ways. So anyway, that's uh, number 46, Trajan. And the number 45 is also a very new game, a complete departure from anything we've talked about. And that's going to be Chronicles of Crime. Uh, this is a brand new detective game. From what I can tell, it's kind of been a smash hit. Uh, somebody had told me it sold like 150 or 200,000 copies or something, you know, way up there. And this is an app-assisted game. And so players are going through as a group. You can play the solo up to, doesn't really matter how many players. And, you know, use an app and the cards and everything to kind of solve all these different cases. I think the game comes with like five or six cases that you can go through. Although three of them are like a campaign sort of, you know, long sort of connected story. And then you can download a couple others for free. Or you can also pay like five bucks or so for one or two of them. And then there's a noir expansion, which sets play takes place uh, like in the 1930s or 40s or something and it's a little bit more like a crime noir you can beat up you know some of the suspects and that kind of stuff and it's got that kind of smoky black and white uh, vibe to it uh, whereas the base game is a little bit more modern idea uh, there but i really have enjoyed this game uh, quite a bit i really like the noir expansion just because it adds a little bit more game elements to it because you can kind of push your luck uh, with some of the different actions you can do. So in the modern one, you're just like call back to headquarters and get some information from their database or their, you know, profiler or whatever. But if you play the noir one, you're like stalking people, breaking into, uh, you know, somebody's office or, or, you know, beating somebody up or that kind of stuff. And that can actually drastically kind of affect, um, you know, how the outcome of the case works. And the, the main takeaway for me for this is I'm not, it seems, I've tried a lot of these kind of detective games. Uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting De Detective, the new detective from Portal Games, uh, and some other games like that, which I probably will mention here in a second. But uh, this one, to me, we have the kind of the best time just kind of telling the story. So instead of like solving the case and feeling like you're a police or a cop or FBI or something, which those other games kind of lean into, this kind of leans into us sort of, it seems to always kind of devolve into sort of investigating the motives of who's doing what and like who maybe committed the murder, but this one lied about this other thing because they're trying to cover up this affair or something like that, or they were embezzling money from this casino or whatever, I'm making that last thing up. But, you know, we're always just kind of sitting around telling a story to each other to see which story makes the most sense. And trying to do more of that and less of using the app, because when you use the app and go drive around and talk to people, it uses up time and it's going to lower your score. So the story element really becomes more about 
the players sort of projecting, you know, their sort of what they think is happening and who's telling the truth and this and that. And the, the way that the, the different uh, folks that you can uh, in, uh, interrogate and stuff and the way they can change their story as, as the, the case kind of evolves, because when you go talk to them, maybe you don't have this evidence that you had earlier and you go back to them and you say, well, what about this now? And then they start to stammer or they run away or they, uh, the narrative itself will actually sort of do change directions and things where a lot of these other games, it doesn't, nothing really happens. You have a bunch of static information that he just kind of sits there and it's a little bit dry and boring. Whereas this, you know, like you could have another murder happen uh, during the course of the, of the case or whatever, or so, you know, something like that. So it keeps it kind of lively and it keeps the storytelling fresh. Um, you know, and it's not always so much a puzzle to solve. It's just kind of a, you know, we're just all kind of trying to figure it out. It's almost like watching a TV show or something and you're like, oh, well, this happened. And what about that? Well, well, what's the theory behind this guy? You know, so it's that kind of vibe to it. And I really like it. Um, so as far as the other kinds of detective games, like I kind of mentioned, I don't really like care for those others. Now, one that I did like uh, quite a bit a couple years ago was uh, Watson and Holmes. And that is Watson and Holmes is almost like if you took Sherlock Holmes consulting detective and then made it competitive. And I really did uh, also enjoy that game. I don't know if that one's still in print or not, uh, but I would definitely take a look at that one. That does a really unique twist on that kind of detective vibe. Uh, but as far as the player count with this, I didn't, I have tried to solo a case in this and it was a little bit too kind of much for me. Um, because you just, I found myself wanting to just take notes and notes and notes and that super wasn't very fun. Whereas if you have at least a couple other people around you, uh, I found that you don't really need to take notes that much, although you might write a couple of things down, but the game has like a little log in the app. You can kind of scroll through and go and see, you know, what did we miss her? What did Francesca say? And I was like, oh, she said this. So you don't really have to take notes. But I, I think I would, I miss the camaraderie sort of thing of, you know, everybody kind of telling their story and just having those other brains involved uh, and sort of looking at things from a different angle than maybe I would look at it or they would look at it. Um, and as far as the play time, it, about an hour or so. I, some of the cases are a little bit longer. I've played, gosh, most of the cases that have been out. I don't know, there's probably like 10 cases out once you throw in all the DLC and stuff. And I've played probably eight of them or seven, seven or eight of them. Um, so, yeah, some of the cases are a little bit quicker. They'll take you less than an hour. Um, other ones will take you, you know, approaching two hours. It just kind of depends how much you hem and haw about stuff. Anyway, so that is Chronicles of Crime. Now, number 44, after Chronicles of Crime, I don't actually have a box for it because it is the Unlock series. And in my group, we one of us will pick up one or two unlocks, and then once we're done with it, if somebody didn't get a chance to play with us, we'll just say give them the box and then they'll take it to their family or maybe some other, uh, you know, fraction of our group will play that uh, on a different day. Uh, so the box is kind of, I don't own one. I've played probably five, I think five or six of the unlock box uh, games. And, but I don't own any because once you play it, you don't need to own it anymore. There's not really a way to expand it other than just to get a new case and then you just have the app and go for it. Uh, we really have enjoyed uh, the unlock. And this, I would say, the unlock is probably, for me, my favorite of this sort of escape room puzzle solving thing. Because you've got a lot of these escape room board game type things. You've got the escape room board game series, escape room in a box, you've got the exit series. You've got some other ones, and I've liked pretty much all of them that I've played. 
but Unlock to me is my favorite because you can just get a box for like 15 bucks and then play through it and you're not really destroying any of the the pieces or anything which isn't that's not really a deal breaker to me um but you know you're not so then you can just pass it on to a friend and then they can play it with their family or whatever and the uh the level of the puzzles and stuff they seem to be pretty varied you know we've played all the different difficulty levels and you know failed on like a medium and solved the hard and struggled with the easy but you know still solved it and all that kind of stuff and the way that it sort of uh, allows you to work through an escape room type of idea is very, very interesting because because everything is just cards and app, it's able to sort of transport you thematically and mentally to a different spot, whereas some of the other ones, it feels like you're actually playing it in a room because you're it's almost like constricted by the components that come in the game. So some of these, uh, like the escape room in a box thing, they actually have locks and things and puzzles, which is really cool. It gives you the cool tactical feeling, and I really like that. And then the exit games kind of do that same thing where you're you're actually manipulating physical puzzles and stuff with the different paper and folding stuff and tearing it and all that stuff using the box sometimes and all that kind of stuff. So you miss a little bit of that physical visceral, visceral uh, puzzle solving with the unlock stuff. But the, the way that they kind of can come across and sort of transport you to this other place and then, you know, you enter in codes into the app and all that stuff really works very well. And they're able to just do a lot of variety. We play some really silly ones that are just very cartoony and then some more realistic and gritty ones and just, you know, all kinds of different thematic stuff uh, with the with the unlocks thing. And I like how, you know, the way the app works where it's able to give you hints like a like you do at a normal escape room and the way that you can sort of just keep going and it's you know even though maybe you don't finish it within the hour you can be very close and then you can still like oh we just missed it but now it's not just like locking us out because that sucks um you know so it lets you go through it's like well we didn't win but we got to you know play that extra five minutes or whatever we needed to solve it and then you know because you're not going to want to play through it again you know, so that that's a smart thing they did with the app to kind of like soften your loss, because at that point you're like, well, I just want to really figure out this puzzle. You know, okay, we lost, but let me figure out the puzzle, and the app lets you do that. And so that's a really cool thing that the unlock does. Um, in most of the the uh, you know cases or quests or whatever that you go on are going to take you about an hour exactly because that's the timer, and so there's not really any wiggle room there in terms of playtime. Uh, the uh, number of players, I would say, I never, I never tried to solo one of these. Uh, I don't think I could because I'm not smart enough. Um, maybe somebody could. I think you'd want at least three or four people. I don't think you'd want more than four because it, you know folks wouldn't really have anything to do. You might just have like kind of too many voices talking and stuff. Two players maybe isn't quite enough, although maybe an easy one or something two people could do. It just kind of depends on you and stuff and how good of a puzzle solver you are or your partners are. But I'd say three, four players is probably perfect. And then it's always going to take an hour. And I already mentioned some of the other escape room style of games there. So that's number 44. And number 43, changing directions again, is uh, Steam. Uh, and this is not Age of Steam, this is not Railroads to the World, this is Steam, although those other games are just fine. Uh, this is a Martin Wallace uh, train game, it came out from uh, Mayfair, I think it's still a Mayfair published game, I'm not really sure, because there's a whole bunch of funky licensed stuff going on with all those different versions of Steam. 
this is sort of a middleweight train game. You know, it's not Ticket to Ride, which isn't really a train game, but it's not a light one. And it's not an 18xx game, which is a heavy brain burner. Um, but this can be very much a brain burner. Now, why do I like this? Specifically, I like Steam over some of these other games I mentioned. Well, Steam has two sets of rules to it. It has the advanced rules and then kind of the normal rules, I think they call them. Uh, the normal rules is actually my preferred way to play, although I've played the advanced rules several times. The advanced rules are basically playing Age of Steam, although there's some differences which I don't remember. But it's just a little bit more brutal of a game than the normal rules. You have some auctions for turn order and all that kind of stuff. And players are taking actions and building, you know, rail networks and shipping and delivering goods and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, in normal game, you just have like a role selection, like a Puerto Rico or a Race of the Galaxy kind of thing where you take this role, you get a bonus, and then you do some other stuff. And, you know, maybe certain things are cheaper. You can build extra train or something. And then you can do that. Whereas with the advanced game, it's got that in it, but it's also, you've got this whole bidding thing to it, which after a while, once I've played both sets of rules a bunch, the bidding thing is like just extra. This is like an extra thing getting in the way of the game. And I don't hate it, but just after playing it enough and also playing with the family, it's like, well, with the family, like, like let's not do the auction thing or the bidding. Let's just play the basic game. And the family is able to get into that much, much easier with Steam. And, you know, if I want to play the auction thing, I'll go play it at the game night or something. Um, but honestly, after having played it a bunch, I would just say play the normal rules, forget all the auction stuff. It's just a, it's just, it's just, it's like an impediment to fun almost some, sometimes. Um, but yeah, so it, and then the other reason I would probably, so that's why I wouldn't choose this over Age of Steam, is because I can play either way, really, I want with this. And then I know somebody's going to clap back. That's like a train gamer. But that's whatever. That's my opinion. And then the other side is the rail world, Railways of the World thing. I actually do like that one quite a bit too. Although the card thing kind of bugs me sometimes. Because in that game you have a bunch of cards that are like special rolls and things. So you have like your normal Steam gameplay. But then like a random row of cards that can just um, kind of bogus stuff up sometimes. Um, and I don't hate it. Like I, I would play Railways of the World any time. But Steam to me is kind of that one that lands right down the middle. Uh, it's a little bit more compact than Railways of the World, which takes up like a giant kitchen table worth of stuff and everything with basically the same, you know, payoff for the gameplay. Uh, but this one is kind of been my go-to. Uh, the other games that would kind of fall into this, you know, as well as these other train games would be like a Power Grid and stuff like that. And Power Grid I really enjoy. And just kind of quick tangent, I would say a lot of these other games that I'm mentioning, specifically uh, like Viticulture and Power Grid and, you know, like Watson and Holmes. Uh, if I were to do a top 100, some of these other games that I'm mentioning would filter up into that echelon there. So they're like barely kind of missing the cut for a top 50 for me. Um, not every single one of these, but a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, Power Grid would be another one that I would say is really interesting uh, take on this kind of rail uh, you know, pick up a delivery kind of idea. Although Power Grid is not really picking up a delivery. You're just connecting things and then getting money for it. And really that's what you're, all you're doing here and trying to, you know, snatch goods before other people. Um, and I like this because there's, I got a bunch of different maps for it. And so once you kind of learn a map, um, even though there's some variation with how the goods are dealt out, you can, you can get bored of it and then move on to a different map and stuff. And they're all really kind of bite-sized and everything. And I've got a bunch of maps in this one box. 
Um, so it's a really good little system to get into if you really like want to get into that spatial uh, kind of stuff. Uh, so that's Steam. That's number 43. Oh, I forgot about playtime for Steam. Sorry. Um, it kind of depends on the map and the number of players. Um, I would say less than two hours for sure. Probably about 90 minutes. Um, but if you played a big six-player one, that might go over two hours. And there's even little two-player maps, which I've played. Um, and that could be about an hour or so. And as far as player count goes, like I mentioned, the map kind of really dictates the player count. Uh, certain maps are meant for certain player counts. Um, and I would say I don't really like it with more than four. I have played it with six. And it's just kind of like, ugh. Just take your turn, you know? So, like, so yeah, that's all right with six, but uh, I would probably like it at the three, four, maybe five players. Two players, okay, but it's, again, I like having that extra brain at the table. Anyway, so that's number 43, Steam. Number 42 is kind of in that ballpark. Uh, this is uh, Airlines Europe here. This is from Alan Moon, who also did Ticket to Ride and some other games. Uh, this is definitely, I think for me, a uh, classic game. This should be like uh, in everybody's household for, for kids and families and stuff like that because I think this kind of does, for me, what games like Monopoly and Ticket to Ride and some of these other games that you know have been around since like the 40s and 60s and 80s and all this stuff uh, really are trying to do, but does it into me like the the best way um, for me. Uh, so this is an, it's almost like a train game, but it's an airline game. So you're building up these uh, different airlines and having stock in those airlines, but it's not, it doesn't really feel like a stock game right away. It's sort of a card set collection game, similar to Ticket to Ride. But instead of you just building routes, you're trying to build out these paths of uh, you know flight paths and all this stuff and trying to dominate the airlines and have connecting, uh, you know, cities and all that kind of stuff. But you, it's got very four simple actions you can do where you can play out uh, cards to to uh, buy up, or you can buy up airlines, you can play out cards to uh, collect the money, you can then uh, just collect money straight up or pass. And it's just such a dead simple game, but really I've played this a couple of dozen times at least, and there's just a lot to sort of reinvest for a game that is such like a light, maybe medium, it isn't really scratch medium, but it's more of a light Euro kind of thing. And um, yeah, it just it's something that is a bit tricky to talk about sometimes because I could get really involved in it. And I haven't played this in like several months, so I'm a little bit scratchy on it. But there is a Longview podcast where myself and Jeff Gamble, who used to host the Longview, uh, really went in depth. Uh, on this game. And so if you can go dig that out somewhere, maybe I'll put a link to it. I also reviewed it a long time ago, but that was back when my reviews, well, they're still kind of crappy, but when they were really crappy, um, you know, I did a review of it then. But I really can't recommend this enough as a kind of a family game. It's a little dry and stuff, but it's a good, like, little brain scratcher that is going to reward you for tons and tons and tons of plays. And I would break this out um, anytime. And it probably actually, now, now that I'm looking at it and talking about it, kind of remembering it, this would probably be a little bit higher on my list if I had played it recently. But honestly, I've played this like so much that it's just like, mm, you know, I kind of played that out a little bit. 
but it's still one that stays in the shelf, still comes out uh, on family game nights now and then, and one that we like to kind of break out and kind of re-get into and re-chew on. Uh, as far as other games like this, I would say uh, Ticket to Ride Europe is one that I really like. That's my favorite kind of version of Ticket to Ride. Um, but this, to me, is kind of the pinnacle of this sort of style, because I feel like this kind of grew out of that Ticket to Ride ballpark, somewhere in that mental space. Uh, that's this, this kind of grew out of that same area. Uh, but if you like, to, if this sounds interesting, but you want something a little lighter too, then the Ticket to Ride series will f- fit the bill. So that was number 42, uh, Airlines Europe. Did I talk about playtime? It's about 90 minutes. Um, player count, I didn't talk about player count, I'm forgetting all my points here. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say more than two. I think it plays the five, yep. Uh, I played it with two players before, and it's like, ee, it works, but you want, it doesn't. It's like a weird mode that it gives you. Um, like it's sort of a dummy player. Nah, just play three, four, five, fine. All those player counts are fine, but two is like a little bit funky. All right, so there we go. That's number 42, Airlines Europe. And number 41, which will be the last one for this video, is going to be, uh, there's a couple of boxes here, actually. So this is Eldritch Horror. And I've got a bunch of expansions and stuff in these two boxes. And I just kept these because these are, I like these covers better than the base game. Uh, Eldritch Horror is definitely one of my favorite co-ops, period. Um, yeah, it's... Every time I play any of these kind of Cthulhu games, I just always want to play Elder Chore <laughs> instead. Um, I love how it has all these plug-and-play expansions now. Like You don't have to use all of it at once. That would be kind of ridiculous. Uh, but it's got a world map. You, you pick an explorer. You travel around trying to solve this weird case that's driven by all this wacky card decks that just throw random nonsense at you. And it's just, if you want to just sit down and play like a very, uh, you know, casual, people say beer and pretzels, but I never drink beer and eat pretzels when I play board games, but whatever that means. And then, uh, you know, if you just want to have like a silly good time, like a, a, a B movie, summer blockbuster, just wild and wacky action filled nonsense time, then for me, Elder Horror kind of is that in that right sort of ballpark. It feels very adventure-y. Uh, you know, you're, you're just flying all over the globe, just running into random seedy alleys and, you know, just weird characters and demons and all kinds of just funky stuff. Um, and then the gameplay is very simple, quick and solid. Um, and, uh, and you don't really need to get every expansion. I don't have every expansion. I missed like the last three or four. I think they're done with them. And so that little twitch in my brain is like, why don't you just get those last three or four? Because you don't have everything. But like I played the new Arkham Horror Edition, I played the Arkham Horror LCG and some of these other games, and they're fine, but every time I play them, I just want to have this cool big map and feel like I'm going on this this romping adventure across the globe and just smashing into these, you know, crazy encounters and all that kind of stuff. And this kind of just has that big vibe for me in terms of uh, Eldritch Horror there. Uh, the game, okay, so game uh, player count. <laughs> One to six, I think it says. I don't know what it says here is max. Yeah, one, is it six or eight? Oh, it says eight. Oh, I don't know that I'd play with eight. I've never have played it with eight. I have played it solo and I have played it with five or six. We had we did it once. And it's a little bit long with that many players. Although I would not be opposed to setting up a game of it and playing it with six. Although I know my game group, I don't have five other people that like this game as much as I do. So I'm not gonna get six players to the table. 
on this. I would recommend it. Solo's fine. It's kind of cool. But I like to have other people with this game here. And so I'd say four players is probably your good uh, middle-of-the-road ballpark, three or four players. Um, but yeah, I would, oh my gosh, eight? That would just be, I guess so. Like I like it, like this is not in my top 40, right? Like I, remember I told you I vomited out my top 40 and then I was like, oh yeah, these 10 games are also really good. So like I said, this wasn't one that was like, just hit me in the face when I was like, best game of all time for me. And I'm like, no, El Zor didn't quite like just bubble out of my subconscious. I had to like look at my shelf and be like, oh yeah, Elder Sword, that's good. So whatever that means. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I would play, you know, four players with this. And it's going to take you a couple hours probably, especially if you want to higher player count. Um, now the other game, there's another game in this sort of um, universe that I also really do enjoy. And that was Mansions of Madness uh, Second Edition. Um, I really do like it. And it, Mansions of Madness Second Edition may actually be a better mechanical design game. I don't know. It comes with an app and has all these, you know, kind of crazy long epic adventures and good storytelling and all that kind of stuff. Um, but once you play through an adventure of that, you're kind of done with it. I mean, you could play it again. I have played in that game multiple adventures uh, multiple times, especially if you lose. Uh, although I played adventures, no, I played adventures that I've won, uh, you know, again. Um, and so it's got the, the Mansions of Madness Second Edition definitely is a special game in terms of the storytelling. And you know, get, when you get a new expansion, you're going to get some adventures out of that, and it's really well done that way. But for me, this is like it's more of a system where I can just you know set up the deck of cards, and the game's just going to auto generate you know, crazy random stories that probably don't make a whole ton of sense, but that's kind of what I want a little bit more than playing something that is driven by an app. Um, although I really do like Mansion Man second edition. So if this doesn't really seem like something you want or you like, you want this, but you also want something a little different than like a normal co-op, which is this definitely fits into that shoe of just straight up co-op. Um, Mansions of the Madness 2nd Edition is another, it's definitely a unique experience. I think something that uh, folks should try. Okay, so that's number 41, Elder Tour, and that is that first list of 10 games. Uh, definitely take a look tomorrow on the podcast or on YouTube for my 31 through 40. Thanks. <laughs>